W I G Wisdom includes guessing. Episode 2 Earth Eater. of you who are listening, open on up your ear holes and let the sounds come on in. The title of your new record, Curiosity Liberates Infinite Truth, C-L-I-T, also known as C-L-I-T, also known as Curiosity Liberates Infinite Truth, also known as C-L-I-T, also known as Clit, also known as Curiosity Liberates Infinite Truth. Curiosity is... For me, one of the the most exciting parts of living, you know, and I always find the most deepest well of, I mean, sure, yeah, liberation and infinite truth within that state of curiosity, you know, which is a state of almost active openness. Yeah. As an autodidact, curiosity is my currency of education so having to want to know something or like having that desire is sparked by curiosity and it's that desire which enables any of the absorption to happen um i'm really bad at learning things that i don't want to learn it's actually impossible hence my very minimal formal education. <laughs> yeah. And minimal, I mean, what it was, what do you mean by your education and minimal? Um, I've only been to two years of, um, institutionalized school, ing schooling. And, uh, that was also pretty fractured chaotic period because I went to three different schools in two years. Um, so of course my experience of it was also not ideal. I don't, it just, so that, that made it harder too. Um, if I was in a more like consistent nurturing environment, maybe I would have been able to adapt to it better. The public school education, uh, education system in this country obviously is pretty screwed. So, um, you know, every single curriculum clashed with the previous one and there was zero flexibility as far as, um, me being able to focus in my innate fortes. So I realized that school was, or at least 
the school that I could go to being a poor kid uh, just was actually limiting to me. So I left. I left when I was 17. I don't really, I mean, some people could call it dropout, but I felt like I was actually dropping in because I was dropping into my curiosity. I was dropping into my desire, my hunger for knowledge and my path and um, figuring out a new system for me to exist in that's flexible and serve me and serve my integral abilities. Wait, so you were only in two years in high school, is that correct? What were you doing before then? Oh, I was homeschooled. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know. Yeah. The void. Yeah. How'd that go? I mean, how'd that go down? What was that? I mean, what was your house, family life like? Both my parents are have rebelled from society, too, so it's not actually that strange. Of course, yeah, all of that probably would have been much more corralled if I didn't have such um, fringe parents. But my mom is from England and my dad is from Russia. So they're both European, stuck out like a sore thumb in our very rural farm countryside um, community. My dad was came from the Soviet Union, so he was excited to break out from that hyperstructure. And my mom was also breaking away from a very like upper class hoity-toity snooty English world it was it it's a very anomalistic upbringing because you know when I said that I didn't want to learn how to read when I was like four or five whatever three four five my mom was like okay you don't have to learn and it wasn't until you know I was playing with some of the neighborhood kids and they were talking about the giver that I decided, okay, I I do, I want to learn now, which is basically what I was talking about before. It's like my desire is the thing that would ignite the actual effort that goes into absorbing any of the information. So I, um, so yeah, I learned how to read quite quickly after that and then became bookworm. But that was like, I don't know, it must've been like seven or eight. Yeah, when I actually started to learn how to read. Before, I was much more interested in playing violin. You know, my mother was raised uh, atheist, Anglican atheist. Sure. And my dad was grew up in the Soviet Union where obviously religion was not a thing. But there was, he fetishized Russian Orthodox Christianity for its architecture and whatever art. And when my parents got married, he was like, hey, fuck it, let's get married in a Russian Orthodox church. But my mom, because of whatever her trauma and also spiritual hunger, um, she immediately got into it. She sunk her teeth into it. So then there was this hyper polarization with my parents, which my mom became very religious in this like very, um, you know, Eastern sect. So it was a lot of prostrations and chanting and all night visuals and uh you know going to church having to have my head covered wear long sleeves wear Mm. long skirts going to confession with spiritual fathers being sent away to monasteries studying iconography with nuns for weeks and 
Um, but then my dad being sort of indifferent to it, but also sort of enjoying the aesthetic of it. Um, my dad is sort of lives his life by the sort of aesthetic fascism. It's really, um, strange. Like the only things he'd ever get sort of violently angry about where it was when my hair wasn't brushed or if my nail polish was chipping or mm-hmm. if my, if I wasn't holding my violin correctly. Yeah. Um, but everything else that it didn't matter. Yeah kind of forgot about all that stuff but I think about it more often now I think about how that has affected me but yeah for sure me saving my soul and becoming a nun was way more important than me learning how to read that was it yeah and when and you you obviously you're not covered up right now so yeah you're there was what's your evolution of like breaking out of that or evolving from that and finding like well this may not be the life for you um i was always a little devil child i was was i was pretty possessed really but i was pretty sneaky about it i was very sneaky i was good at um not upsetting mom and going along with things but then behind her back uh and under the surface getting into all kinds of mischief and so I think from when I was very young, I knew even I knew that I couldn't wait to have sex. I knew I couldn't wait to try psychedelics and drugs. And I knew that, and my ears would prick up whenever I heard of anything outside of um, the um, hyper-religious sphere. You know, I remember being having uh, intense moments receiving communion in an all- in a, in, a, in a monastery. It was all monks. Yeah. And the women received communion after the men. Yeah. And the women always stood in a separate section on the other side of the church and they ate lunch in a different room and all this, blah, blah, blah. And I remember going up as like a 13-year-old. And even though I had a long skirt, you know, certain curves were still visible and whatever. I'm just a 13, 14-year-old girl with my arms crossed going up to receive communion and you're like, do this little baby bird mouth face, like opening up for communion. And there's four monks surrounding me. And then the father, the abbot is like putting communion in my mouth and they take it out of this gold gilded chalice covered in beautiful, um, stones and he's, and this long gold spoon and he takes the body and blood of Christ and you know places it in my mouth and even though at that point I had I was highly sheltered still and you know I would be able to try to figure out how to see certain films or blah 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 but I certain had certainly hadn't seen any form of pornography at that point or anything explicit and um, I remember feeling the hyper eroticism in that moment I've always been a flirt, like I just have a flirtatious personality, but I was not projecting. I, I, I feel like it was me just being hypersensitive to their like awareness of me as this like fresh flower. But but that being said, you know, I, I, I realize it's I don't wanna disrespect or be a be a source of temptation for these monastics that are trying to find God in whatever system they're working with. Um, I wouldn't ever want to be a like challenge that, but I was just my presence being there was 
is hypercharged. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I mean, the, I think that, you know, seeing and knowing you and seeing you perform, you use, you know, your body as a main instrument. Yeah. So, you know, I, I view you as a very tuned in and spiritual person too. Right. The eroticism yeah. of it was because of the taboo, because of yeah. me being so covered. Yeah. Which is why I feel like. I feel like you've almost flipped that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I feel like. And I also feel in the past years that the projection of me being a woman is outside. It's not coming from the inside. Yeah. Like, and I definitely, I, in my most charged sexual moments, I, I feel like I'm just playing the role of this archetypal woman. But deep down in my core, I don't feel any particular polarization sexual polarization mm -hmm. it's because i'm in within this body that people perceive it as a hyper feminine thing but like i think that's part of the reason why i continue to do what i do with the using my body and using my sexuality in the work is because it's it's really energetically charged and it and the nuance that you get to play with is um incredibly powerful and um also just to just to be able to flip back and forth between all these different shapes and the and distorting the feminine distorting this archetypal so-called sort of feminine body or whatever it's like it it's very fun for me to distort it and to completely like change shape i mean i it's i remember doing it in the mirror as like a teenager like creating these like goblin-esque shapes like looking at this whatever you know body and being like arching my back sticking out the breasts shoulders back you know da 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 like doing all this and then it's just it's just a projection, you know, it's just me using that. But then also the same body can, when I curve my, when I do like a scorpion uh, hip thrust and put the shoulders forward and suck in the belly so that the ribs are like stuck out and then like, you know, pointing the chest down so the breast chest point down and this like, supposedly sort of ugly grotesque way and then bearing the teeth in the shape of a smile but you know it's not a smile the nuance of what what is a smile and what is a growl this body is a chemistry mystery these tits are just a side effect you can't compute her
don't decide for my chemical computer. This body is a chemistry mystery. These tits are just a side effect. You can't compute her. You can't compute her. You don't decide for my chemical computer. This body is a chemistry mystery. These tits are just a side effect. You can't compute her. You can't compute her. You don't decide for my chemical computer. This body is a chemistry mystery. These tits are just a side effect. You can't compute her. You can't compute her. My mom didn't realize what she was doing at the time, but I think that in her wanting me to be as pure and like virginal, I don't know if that's a word. I think it is. <laughs> as possible as a as a youth, she was actually charging up the other vial, which was me. Um, actually, that's funny, vial. I call myself little vial because I played violin when I was little, but it just works a lot, this, this term vial. But yeah, as a vial of a substance, vial as a, of an energy, but also just being just a little vial. I feel like, you know, one of the things that if I'm going to see you perform in the back of my mind, I'm saying, well, I wonder what Alex is going to do tonight. You know, there's a very fluidity about it. And it seems to be like, who are you going to be playing with? Like, how are you going to assemble the songs or what, however it is. And, um, that's something I've always really enjoyed in, in music and mm-hmm. in art. There is is that fluidity of that, of mm-hmm. being malleable, of being open to the space, mm-hmm. being open to people's energies and mm-hmm. um, allowing that to move through you, you know, and move through, you know, like, you know, I think that's always like the, the challenge of, of art, of being, you know, you want to have your vibe when you bring it to the, to, to a performance. Right. Yeah. And, and you want to be able to, uh, give what, what your mind is saying or what you practice or what you've rehearsed, but then you also want to make that connection. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. I mean, I always try to do the best that I can do, but I also am a, uh, I try to do the best that I can do and I try to be true to myself and, um, but I also find so much, um, I don't rehearse enough probably, but maybe that's not necessarily a problem because I think harnessing the the fresh emotion is is like this incredible, undeniable truth, you know? And it doesn't, it might not always come off as perfectly tight or perfectly, uh, maybe it doesn't translate perfectly uh, right off the bat, but I I can always step away from a performance feeling honest, at least, in going with uh, at least 50% of, of, um, improvisation and uh yeah i mean i like you know 
we talk about this all the time, Twig, mm-hmm. um, about my polarization with, you know, feeling like, oh, I'd probably be more, um, quote unquote, successful if I had more of a packageable, dependable product on, um, you know, the nice uh, store's shelf. And, um, but I think that I'm sort of an accidental uh, anarchist or like I'm just a, I can't help my impulse, which is to like smash that all down and just try to, it's, yeah, it's the sort of like masochism or something to to truth and to honesty and to the moment and um, wanting to, Yeah, I mean, there's nothing more magical. And this is something that psychedelics taught me. I'm sure it is just the energy that's in the room. And um, my greatest nightmare is uh, complacency and monotony and being too comfortable in anything. Because even though you might play a total flop of a set, an improvisational in-the-moment set, Every time there will be one moment of discovery, which is really what I live for, I think. Yeah, and I think that's the nature of a lot of it, you know, improvised uh, music. And uh, you you might have to dig through a lot of struggle. Yeah. yeah. But if you hit it, it only takes that one moment yeah. and then you deliver. Totally. You know, and that's like, I think the, the trick is also how do you... How do you develop? Like, I mean, what is rehearsing? You know, I mean, yeah. if you're living, you're constantly rehearsing. Right. Yeah. So you're constantly in the flow of life. You know, and if, so if you can develop that that presence of life and allow the fluidity of your life, and you bring that to a performance, and you allow that to happen, actually, the difficulty may even be the, um, you know, the the fusion of one's vision with the vibe of the space, you know, and then how do you like lock into that and just like deliver it? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I feel like the easiest thing for me is to lock in with the people. I feel like if you're, if you, yeah, I feel lucky in that way. It's pretty easy for me to just like look into the eyes of the people and know what to give them. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with just being an entertainer on that way. And you know, and I love, and I think I've got that, and I like that feeling. I, it's the hardest thing is is entertaining myself and feeling mm. completely alive and emotionally activating my own fire. And you know, I was like, I'm learning how to do the, all these metal vo- uh, vocals right now. Mm-hmm. So I'm watching all these metal tutorials, all these metal bros giving you know guttural and scream tutorials. And something that they always say, which is so truthful, they're like, you're not going to be able to do this if you don't have the most evil lyrics. You know, you're not going to be able to scream or really, you know, throw a proper guttural if you're not really feeling or almost scared of the lyrics you're singing. (laughs) Shut the fuck up! (laughs) And 
And I really, the, that's poetry is alchemy. Poetry is yeah. like you change. I, a, a combination of words changes the chemical makeup in my, or the, it affects my chemical computer. Yeah. And so I, to me, yeah, being able to code the right po- activating poetry in the set is the most important thing for, uh, f- you know, firing up my, my vigor in, in the performance because it affects every cell in the body. And the times I felt like I've failed in a set is when I've forgotten the poetry that I wrote before or that I, so, and a lot of the time I come up with stuff right on the fly and it's, it'll really work and I get there. And then sometimes I just can't think of anything. And that's just like, oh, that's dark. It's really, yeah. really dark when yeah. I can't think of anything. But then they usually start, um, you know, doing some glossolalia, but it's usually based in the Russian syllables because I know what those syllables are because of the the chants in church. And I do find that activating and pretty easy. It's like using the sil- syllables from um, Slavonic, which is the ancient spiritual Russian language. And using that to uh also start something but it's a little bit less it's some it's a different thing emotionally it doesn't necessarily activate the way that poetry does and you know i that's in spite of improvising vocally i mean right now i'm using backing tracks um I'm uh, so I can really flex vocally and physically in the set and i mean do you write things that scare you yeah, absolutely. I mean, in Clit, in Clit, I'm scared a lot about my lyrics because I'm scared because I'm also flexing opinions. Where in the in the past records, I would I was very anti-absolute, super staying away from any absolute, finishing everything with a question mark, and I and I talk about that in this record. You know, I there's like a lyric which is like two ears curled like crest question marks and like seeing the question mark, seeing the ear as the shape of a question mark and the earrings are the dots. Um, cause it's cute. Very. <laughs> yeah. Very. And, um, I think I do flex opinions, but it's more, it's somewhat abstract, you know, like saying, talking about the smile, the origin of the smile, and how the origin of the smile comes from baring one's teeth, which is a very nuanced act because it's like, I could rip you to shreds right now. I could tear your jugular out with these sharp pearly whites, but I choose not to. Mm-hmm. And that's because we're friends and because we have peace between us and an understanding there's this new sassy confidence that comes in with this record, which scares me because you're committing to something. And it's not necessarily even that I'm committing to it. It's just that, you know, and that's something that I tell myself to, to calm myself down. It's like, it's just a song. This is a song is just, it's function is to be applied for when it is necessary. And you know, everything is, not what it is and is what it is. It's like, I'm the best. I'm also the worst. I'm a ditz with the inverted dick. And even the title, I'm saying curiosity is, you know, curiosity liberates infinite truth. That's an absolute. 
I'm stating it sounds like an absolute, you know, and but it also collapses on itself. It also collapses. On yeah. Itself. There's, there's yeah. safety. There's, yeah. definitely, there's like safety built in yes. to these things. Yeah. It's like, and you know, I say lyrics, like if, uh, think about how less populated the world would be if a conception re- relied on the mother's orgasm, you know? And so it's like these super sassy statements and, um, provocative, statements that also sort of collapse on each other i I talk about how ignorant biology is yeah 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 biology fucked up a lot yeah (laughs) as and as you speaking as a biological creature yeah exactly i'm like (laughs) so it's sort of nonsense it's really it's a total bitch wave record okay yeah 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 it's very it was very easy for all types of people to sink into my last records, but this one definitely people will probably some people will probably hate it. There's something really also so peaceful about finally coming to grips with that and just being like, Okay, this is me, this is who I've chosen to be. Let's, I mean, let's, let's jump into psychedelics a little more in depth. I mean, what was, when did you first hear about, you know, psychedelics? That's a really good question. I mean, I know my dad and his friends were taking a lot of psychedelics around me when I was growing up. We were doing like morning prayers and prostrations with my mom. Meanwhile, the night before my dad was like jumping, doing like fire leaping with his friends, like all tripping. Um, so I certainly was feeling it energetically around me a lot from a young age who gave me who what was my first trip um i think by the time i was like 16 17 i was going in on psilocybin and lsd when i got into high school i realized that the kids that had were playing music had a special power and that was i had quit violin two years before but i played violin from three to 13 so pretty intensely for 10 years so yeah it was all the the, the thing everything that happened at once was psychedelics and me re-embracing music using my actual curiosity like actually being like oh i'm very curious and very hungry to know how to do this and i can do this i know i can because my brain has been conditioned for it i've been like playing you know Vivaldi concertos since I was seven and like just knew how to apply uh, the musical 
spectrum and sound and harmony uh, to my actual essence. I think that since my domestic life was so fractured at that point, we were living in a tiny apartment above in neighbors that were cooking meth and um I was my mom was away all the time it was me and my three brothers and it was just pretty chaotic and intense and there was zero guidance and hardly any money and you know I was walking to school and living in we had moved we sold the farm which was pretty traumatic and um you know I was starting to get involved with bad boys and probably being like way too concerned with how I looked and what boys thought of me. Trips were probably distorted by that, like the ability to really harness. But I think what it did was lubricate my desire for music and for nurturing my musical spirit and use and realizing that was my ticket to survival. And you still have a relationship with psychedelics too now absolutely yeah Yeah. i mean and since then um yeah i mean i definitely try to check in all the time right now i've just been micro dosing a lot yeah which i love yeah i tour alone i carry a lot of gear on my own i'm the point person all the time i'm you know i'm playing 30 something shows in a row on my Mm. own and I definitely owe a lot of the power creativity clarity patience resilience to psilocybin I totally entertain Terrence McKenna on his theory that a a spike in human evolution is uh, owed to psilocybin because I swear it is it's a magical substance for Definitely. when you're exhausted and hyper challenged on tour. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, tour is a pretty psychedelic experience on, on its, its own. own. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so to have something to drop into, I mean, yeah, the most ecstatic psychedelic states I've ever experienced is through exhaustion. You yeah. know, and every tour is every level of exhaustion, yeah. physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, creatively. You know, yeah. you're you, those those spikes of of extreme non-moving to extreme moving extreme isolation to extreme contact yeah you know or something that happens um i can't think of a a more dramatic spike you know in life besides you know in touring and that's in that space so yeah you know and that's also why like the post-tour depression and come down is so intense because you end up on the more stable field and then your body's like wait i'm used to these crazy spikes right i just suddenly thought of something i should i feel like i should have a cleansing trip coming home from tour to just like clean out all of that stuff i'm i'm ready to go into some more um deep moments i mean i've like we were talking about the other day I've I've very rarely been terrified or scared in my mm-hmm. psychedelic experiences and I feel like I feel so confident in it that that's kind of what I need to experience. You need to break down that confidence. Yeah, exactly. Maybe. Yeah. 
maybe maybe I shouldn't be too terrified in my trips because then I would just like quit music and become a real estate agent or something. I don't think you can become a real estate agent. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're screwed. You're stuck. Oh, shit. You're stuck. <laughs> uh, uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, for me and my experiences coming in contact and psychedelic experiences uh, with that apocalypse, you know, on whatever mm. form it is of, yeah. of your where you are in the world or yeah. the, the big metaphysical one. Of, I'd see it happening yeah. to men more often. To oh, cis well, men. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, well, I mean, I think that's the, I mean, psychedelics are very feminine, yeah. you know, if, if you want to break it down and in in, into that, right. I mean, I think it is, you're, a, it's a receptive state. It's yeah. a very, you know, open state. It's also a very destroying state, yeah. you know, and, and the, our society built upon this, you know, the patriarchy being a masculine world you know it's yeah. like that's why these things are right taboo exactly because they they don't do well with power mm. you know they kind of reveal like how everything is truly connected yeah. you know and it's like once things are connected if we that's where yeah. the real power comes from mm. but maybe you just haven't done a strong enough dose to kind of go all the way Yeah, maybe i'm pretty resilient yeah i don't know i've definitely taken a lot and i've always been like oh i just feel like myself now yeah <laughs> like, <laughs> like oh this is me this is great all the bullshit's just cleared yeah. i mean i don't know how much you would agree with this but i love marilyn manson's quote about drugs how drugs aren't the problem it's stupid people doing the drugs that are the problem <laughs> they ruin it for the rest of us <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i mean i've tripped with a lot of people and i always just find myself being the trip mom like the trip sister yeah chilling holding hands yeah talking um, about stuff just kind of like jokes yeah so far that's been the best thing is when someone is going through the darkness i just start to crack jokes yeah maybe i'm protecting myself or like i just haven't had the opportunity to spiral myself because i I tend to sort of always be this sister Mm -hmm. i mean i'm just also i haven't approached it yeah. Really from a like, you know, place where I'm thinking about it as a like practice, like you practice working with people through their trips as like a therapy. Mm-hmm. And for me, I'm just like the buddy. In in my experience playing that role with people, um, you're never neutral, you know, yeah. you're never, you can never be neutral and your experience your presence there of being present with someone going mm-hmm. through these states affects you. You know, mm-hmm. your mind is mirroring their experience constantly, yeah. you know, and the, the, you know, when people come into our lives or you have interactions with people, they're, they're also mirrors to you. You know, mm-hmm. what is that revealing in that oh, yeah. way? Everyone's right? an Oracle for everyone else. Yeah. It's a, it's a very special thing that I'm really grateful to have been through with people and, um, yeah, I think that ultimately, though, I, I, I do from this point on need to work with more like solo experiences yeah. so I can get through because I also am so hyper aware, like you were saying, someone's a mirror of you, you're a mirror of them. But like, I am hyper aware of influence, how I'm very easily influenced. I think it comes from um, being overstimulated by all these different mediums and different people and different things and different ideas and different conversations that, um, I would like 
enter these like sort of glitch out analysis paralysis moments in my work and in really understanding who I am. I'm just like, I'm, I'm literally just rearranging and regurgitating everything that's coming in all the time, which is, that's what most of us are most of the time, but I totally agree, you know, yeah, yeah. but I, right now I'm really trying to go in on like, what's the, like the core of my essence. So solo tripping would be good for me in, in this like core exploration for sure. And I, I'd like to do that. Um, oh, and back to the whole like gender thing. Yeah. I think that, um, it's a, I don't know how to fully describe it. And I probably have not read enough literature about, um, gender politics about this because I guess I would just say I'm gender fluid, but, um, I'm, I'm sticking with the pronoun she, because I find, I find solidarity with, with women and their struggle. Yeah. As a man, um, I feel like I'm pretty in tune with my feminine side. I yeah. could always be more in tune with both sides of myself. Sister twig. Yeah. Um, but the, I've been going through a lot of, you know, a lot of the interesting work is coming to terms with what my own masculinity. Mm-hmm. And, um, I've learned a lot through my psychedelic experiences, but just also understanding that the, the, the male psyche is fractured, you know, society has fractured, yeah. um, the male psyche where, the the the, being vulnerable to your emotions right Mm -hmm. and and doing that is is this weird taboo in this way to really allow yourself to uh um you know like that work should go on to the woman you know so it's sort of like you're always forced into this dyadic couple or something that's Mm -hmm. what the culture wants and one has to do this work and the other one has to do that work but really once you are unified in yourself and you can alchemize both of those states you're able to actually be more of a present full human because you're Mm not relying so much on that that polarity yeah and that's like i i mean that's just you know i think that's fun to be uh an artist you know creative person and work in that dimension you know and i mean not even like for me it's not a thing i try to communicate through there just maybe that's just being a man i don't really have to so you know it's like men are viewed as just like, yeah, you're a man, you're a creative person. That's it. It's kind of like a blanket thing where women have to actually kind of like prove themselves. Oh God, the proving thing is fucks it up for us so much. It's such a stupid hurdle to have to be the like initial thing you meet with in the creative community. It's just absolutely so annoying the proving yeah you know i one of my favorite thoughts that i did recently was just just bring an unaffected microphone up on stage and just like practice these gutturals that i've been learning and um it felt so great to just be like i don't have anything to prove to you guys but like i am going to probably scare you a little bit that's all (laughs) i don't know and uh you know or i have the the one the one death threat threat that i've got i've only had one death threat you've gotten a death yeah i've had a death threat okay and uh in sweden i played a show with of course since fact magazine gave me best psychedelic record of 2015 i got funneled into the psychedelic uh, circuit, which I'm in music sorry. Yeah. absolutely blows. I, yeah, it was. Yes, psychedelia is known for some real I, basic I stuff. I like touring, but I played so many bills with just all men jerking off on their various gear, and 
Um, I hated it. I hated a lot of those lineups. Um, and I just decided, I was like, I don't have anything to prove to these idiots. I really don't have anything to prove. So I started hardly playing my guitar. I had a guitar and I installed a MIDI pickup on it and I programmed certain frets to be like these kind of like ugly, grotesque sample, like badly recorded, blown out samples I hardly had to use any of my guitar technique. It's because the guitar became a different instrument. It becomes like this very like visceral object that you just kind of like throw around. And uh, I remember I got a a death threat from somebody that was at the show or maybe just saw the live video and he was like, you know, fuck you, you should die. How dare you blaspheme the guitar and the type of talent and work that it takes for somebody to be a good guitarist. And how dare you headline this show at this venue as some stupid American bitch. Well, you know, whatever that, that can't even play guitar that never put in the time or effort to play guitar. And, you know, so clearly he didn't do his research or listen to my old music or whatever, you know, but still I was like, word you know yeah, you did something you still got <laughs> I was like, it i yeah, don't yeah. i'm not gonna prove have to prove anything right now you yeah. know it's like i don't no i don't wanna Friday, i can taste it coming up bend them drop i can taste it burning up burning. i can taste it coming up bend them drop i can feel it burning up burning. i can taste it coming up bend them drop Everybody. Everybody's down with the team. Motherfucker, this is a personal. I'm taking this shit personal. I'm on nobody's team. I'm taking care of me, my little crew. Fuck it. This podcast was recorded and produced in the Mask.fm studio. If you're interested in supporting our network, please visit www.patreon.com slash Mask.fm.